Well, good morning once again. Today we are going to be looking at a text in Hebrews chapter 10. And our theme today can really be summed up in one word, encouragement. Talking about the ministry of encouragement today. And you know, there are just innumerable texts that I could 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 use. I thought about stringing together a whole bunch of them, but I figured, okay, one will probably make the point. So Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to just read verses 24 and 25, and then go back to get a little bit of context, start with verse 19, and reread them. So first of all, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good work. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Going back up to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place that we often call church, we recognize that, amongst other things, it is immediately turned into a sanctuary. It is turned into a holy place because it's where we, your people, meet with you, our God. We are coming together in the name of Jesus to give you the thanks and the praise, the honor and the glory that you deserve, to worship you in spirit and truth as you have already enabled us. But Lord, it is our desire and need to hear you speak to us through your word. So we have gathered in your presence and ask, O Lord God, that having received our worship, that now that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truths that apply to us as individual Christians and as a body of believers. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. You don't have to go to church to worship God. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. After all, religion is a private matter. And there's a lot of truth, actually, to those statements. If, of course, you mean by that, that 
you know, you can worship God at any time, any place, and this sort of thing, and that's true. What defines you as a Christian is whether you have received Christ as your Savior, not if you belong to any particular church, this sort of thing. And certainly just going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Okay? So we, we get that. On the other token, the Bible knows nothing of isolated Lone Ranger Christians. Life in Christ, by definition, by design, is life together in Christ. It is life in community. It is Christ community church. You know, as you think about it, there's really only two things in life you cannot do by yourself. By definition, you can't do them by yourself. You can't get married by yourself. Just doesn't work. By definition, you're getting married to somebody. The other is you can't be a Christian by yourself. By design. The minute you have become a Christian, you have become part of the family of God, the flock of His sheep, the body of Christ, whatever image or terminology you want to use. Christians, by design, need each other. We are called to be there for each other. And that's why there are so many of these one another's in the New Testament to pray for one another, encourage one another, stir one another up to love and good works, and on and on they go. So religion is really not a private matter. It is not simply a personal issue. It is life together in the body of Christ. We're all unique. We're all important, as we were just talking about with the kids. And we are all interdependent. Like it or not, understand it or not, we need each other. One of the images that has often been used is that of like a fire, a campfire, fire in the fireplace or whatever. You've piled together these twigs and these logs or whatever else, and you've got a fire going. But it needs all of that for it to be a fire. And if you take one of those logs out and say, well, I don't really need all the other logs to burn, and you take one of the logs and just set it off to the side, what happens to the log? It just goes out. Because it needs the the interaction, the dynamic interaction that is going on for it to burn. And so that's the way it is for us as Christians. Separate yourself from the body of Christ, and it's not long before your fire goes out and you are at best a smoldering ember. This is why I think this text in Hebrews is so important where the the writer of Hebrews, and nobody really knows who it was, is exhorting these Christians here and in so many other places, you guys need each other. If you really are going to make it in this world, and if you're going to make it as the people of God in this world, you really need each other. He says, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Because by definition, being a part of the people of God means that you are part of a people. You are together. Even the word synagogue that the Jews were using for, for generations is the word to, togetherness. 
It's from the word sunago, which just means togetherness. And so the, when you go to synagogue, it's to be together. And the Christian church was built off the dynamic of the synagogue. And the very word church, ecclesia, means gathered ones. The very definition of the church is that we are the, the gathered ones. And so we come together to pray and to serve and to build up, to stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage one another, which is the one another we are looking at today in particular. The one another that, quite frankly, is my favorite because it just seems to embody so much of all the rest. It is so positive. It is so uplifting. And it is so needed. Like I said, there are just... It just, there were so many passages. I just like, which one do I choose in this? Because it is all through the scriptures here. But man, how much most of us could really use some encouragement in our lives. We all probably know how discouraging it is to have people criticizing us, complaining about us or saying things about us that just kind of make us feel this big. How deflating it is. And with all the work that we might do at, at church or at home or in a church or a business or, or something like that, and all the good things we try to do for someone that goes unacknowledged or unappreciated. Or people at church or people at home or people at work who are constantly nagging, you never are doing or saying anything good enough. And as the phrase goes, no good deed ever seems to go unpunished. It's often a sad reality. We may have to deal, just as by a matter of course, with clientele, customers who are rude who are inconsiderate, who feel entitled to treat you like dirt. And again, it can all be so disheartening and frustrating. We see it on social media all the time. We see it everywhere, this, this spirit of negativity, criticism, and so forth. And it can leave us feeling angry, depressed, or bad about ourselves, or just even the world in which we live. And that's why I love this particular one another so much. And it really embodies, it describes how the church really is to be different from the world. It is a place where people are edified. A place where people can go and be built up. A place where people are caring for and loving one another. They're, it's an encouraging place to go. One of the best ways we can minister to one another. And how refreshing and uplifting and good it feels when we hear words of encouragement. When people affirm us, say thank you, express appreciation for hard work we have done, for just who we are. When people provide words of insight, support, comfort, inspiration, especially when we're down. Words of encouragement I thought were beautifully described by someone is like rays of sunshine that burst into our darkness. That's a good way to describe what encouragement is. Rays of sunshine 
that just burst into our darkness. For years, I have led the church planting efforts of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. And as part of that responsibility, we have something called the Assessment Center. And the Assessment Center is the primary means in which we vet our church planters. Uh, do they have the calling, the character, the giftedness to be able to plant churches? And it's quite an elaborate process. It involves talking to all sorts of people and references, observers and peers and supervisors and other folks. We pull lots of information together. And at the end of a long process and four days on a retreat and this sort of thing, we bring this individual or couple together and we give them the feedback. And we always start with their strengths. We always start with the things that other people have observed that they find encouraging or helpful about that couple. And by the time we just read through those, say, these are the strengths you bring to the table. This is the, the, the foundations you need to build your life and ministry on. By the time we get to that, I'd say two-thirds of those people are in tears. They're weeping. I said, I haven't even gotten to the concerns yet. You know, these are your strengths. And you're crying? And their response inevitably is, I had no idea. I can't tell you the last time I heard a positive word. And this is the way people are actually thinking about us and how they feel about us, this sort of thing. So I said, well, you know, these people in relative anonymity have got a chance to tell you exactly what they think of you. And this is what they're telling us. And it is just so encouraging and affirming to them. And even as we go through some of the things we want them to still work on and this sort of thing that we want to come alongside them, inevitably I have just stacks of emails and letters and cards that people have sent me that said that assessment center was the most helpful and encouraging experience of my life. Why? Because it's probably the only place for years and maybe even afterwards where they heard somebody give them encouraging words. Christians, as the church, are to be known as a people living in community, living with each other, who are consistently, proactively finding ways to encourage one another, to build each other up, to support each other. It says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and how you can encourage one In other words, give some thought to it. It takes some degree of intentionality. Maybe even praying about it. Lord, how can I go to church today or how can I be a part of this body and be a source of a blessing and encouragement to others? Take some thought for a moment about that. Be thoughtful, intentional, prayerful, proactive about it. Think about that even in your home or your workplace. Just this one dynamic of practical love, love in action, encourage you one another, will transform a church, will transform a workplace, will transform a home. When we stop being just looking at the negatives, all the things that we see that are wrong, maybe because that's all anybody's ever telling us, what a place this would be. What a place our homes would be if we were proactive about encouraging one another. We need it. Every one of us needs it so much. You learn a lot about the ministry of encouragement 
when we consider the Greek word for it. It might surprise you, for some of you who've had some study and background, that the Greek word for encouragement is parakaleo. Does that ring a bell for anybody? It's exactly the same word for the Holy Spirit. That's the word used for the Holy Spirit in, in the Scriptures. It is the parakaleo for us. In the Gospel of John, the parakaleo is variously translated helper or comforter. That sort of thing. The word literally means to come alongside someone for the purpose of helping them, supporting them. That's what the word literally means. So the Holy Spirit is literally the presence of God who comes alongside you as a believer to encourage you. That's the very definition of the Holy Spirit and His work in your life. To comfort you, to challenge you sometimes, to exhort you, that's what He does. More specifically, the Holy Spirit is God's presence in our lives who takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives in various purposes. He convicts us of sin and exhorts us to repentance and obedience because He loves us and wants us to get out of the muck and to begin, life as, begin to live life as it was intended to be lived, to give the life, live the life you were created for and redeemed for. And He wants to move you in that direction. He's the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth and He'll teach you those things. He will show you the promises of God in times of trial or stress and bring them home to your heart. He will affirm your salvation, your standing as a child of God by grace so that you are able to cry out in response to Him crying into your soul, Abba, Father, Daddy. You're my Father and I can run to you when I'm scared. I can go to you when I'm lonely. I can go to you when I'm overwhelmed. I can go to you when I don't know what the heck I'm doing. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He builds us up. He serves us. He encourages us. And that's what our role is. He gives us the peace, the joy, the strength of God in our souls. That's our role in each other's lives. We are part of the body of Christ, the children, the family of God. And how do we do this? What does that tend to look like? It's just words of affirmation. Acknowledging and expressing appreciation to someone. Showing gratitude. Just saying thank you to people. Giving words of comfort to people. Maybe reminding them of the promises of God. Sometimes exhorting. And even maybe confrontation or challenging. Just stir one another up to love and good works. I found this unpleasant but helpful many years ago. When he came in our church, said, can I come over and talk to you? I said, yeah, sure. So Steve came over. We sat down outside, started to talk a little bit, and said, you know, I'm here really representing a lot of people, and I just, uh, I, I need to tell you something that's uncomfortable, and I think you need to hear it. <laughs> okay. Uh, here we go. He said, you know, you are really a pain in the patootie. Okay, what do you mean by that? You always think you're right. Nobody can ever tell you anything. And you are really irritating a lot of people. And nobody feels like they have anything else to contribute because you're always supposedly one step ahead of them. And you need to understand, you are really, and he used some fairly strong words. But I also knew Steve. And I knew his heart. And he was a very good friend of mine. It's kind of like why well, he got elected to do this uh, kind of thing. But I've never forgot that. 
And that was really so helpful to me. And I began to repent of those things and, and it made some changes in how I was functioning as a pastor and relating to people. And it seemed to make a really big difference in ministry. Not that I just made changes, but the very, just the very fact I admitted it and was willing to repent over it and, and try to make progress. And I needed other people to continue to give feedback to me. There's so many ways in which we're to be there for one another. And it doesn't always involve words. We can encourage one another sometimes just by the things we do, praying for one another and letting them know that. Not in a proud sort of way like I am praying for you, what a holy person that makes me, but I really do care and I'm praying for you. I've done this so many times with people who have come with, they're in crisis, they've met, there's some issue or need in their lives. Even as a pastor, I don't always know what to say or do. And so all I will say is, I am so sorry. This is obviously a really hard time for you. I don't know what to tell you, but I am praying for you. And I will walk alongside you as best as I can, but I'm praying for you. I've had so many people say, thank you. Did you just try to give me some flattering, empty words? But did you just seem to listen and understand and pray for me? I've seen that happen innumerable times. When I, in the ministries that I've been in, sometimes planting churches and this sort of thing, and had to raise support from churches and this sort of thing to help plant those churches and do ministry of other kinds, then people will send notes and cards saying, just want to let you know we're praying for you. And I recently, just a few months ago, got a, one of those cards from a five-year-old girl from a church in Peoria. That is just so encouraging to get those kind of notes and just words of encouragement that somebody out there notices, somebody out there remembers, somebody out there is praying for this. That is so important. This really came home to me like a hundred years ago when I was in college. And I was in, my roommate was a uh, Jew. His name is Arnie. Uh, and he wasn't a practicing Jew. As a matter of fact, he was an atheistic Jew. And at one point, Arnie was going through some really hard times. He'd broken up with his girlfriend. He was having terrible time with his family, this sort of thing. And he, we, it was just one of those nights, you know, where you're both in your bunk, it's dark, and you just kind of talk. And he just kind of went on with all, he just kind of poured out his heart. And I was a brand new Christian at that point, and I had no clue what to tell him. And so when Arnie was finished kind of spilling his guts, I just said, Arnie, I have no idea what to say to you, brother, but I'll pray for you. There was total silence in the darkness. And then I heard Arnie say in a cracked voice, you would do that for me? And I said, do what? You would pray for me? Well, sure. I mean, to me, it was just obvious. To Arnie, had never, ever had somebody say something just like that to him. Nobody who had expressed that kind of a support or encouragement to him, and it just broke him down. It can be so significant in our lives, serving each other, going out of our way to meet needs or let people meet our needs. We have a woman in our church who's a single mom, two kids, nurse, uh, school nurse, and she's, you know, she's a wonderful person, happy person, walking with Jesus, this sort of thing. But life is challenging. It's hard. And in living in her home, she's not been able to keep up with her, uh, with the house. A lot of things have fallen into disrepair. The yard's gotten in bad shape, hasn't been able to keep up with the landscaping at all, which is overgrown, broken down, this sort of thing. And a couple of the deacons who had visited her noticed all this. And so they put together, with her permission, a work day. 
And it turned into a work weekend. It turned into a couple of weekends where they went in and did all sorts of repairs, remodeling, overhauled her landscaping, worked on her yard, all sorts of things, fresh coats of paint, and have since tried to keep up with her. You can't imagine, maybe you can, what an encouragement that is to her. And that the message that she's hearing is, yeah, life can be hard, but you're not going to have to live it alone. We'll be alongside you as best as we can. We are your family as the family of God. We are the body of Christ. And we'll use whatever skills we have to serve you. Just even just being there in times of sorrow and grief and pain, holding up each other, just being a good listener. All of this is who God has called us to be as the people of God. That's who we are as the church. That's what it means when it says that God has given us his parakaleo and that this is the word we are, that he uses for us. But the deeper and last issue to consider is why. Why are we to do this? Why are we to be such encouragers of one another? More exactly, why is it that Christians God's people are exhorted so frequently to this ministry of encouragement. And that's because what is in verses 19 through 23, those verses leading into it, that's the reason, that's the compelling motivation because of all that God has done for us in Christ. He has torn down the veil through, the, through what Christ has done in his flesh. He suffered the judgment of God in your place. He suffered for your sins in your place. He died the death you deserved so that the veil is torn and you've got access into the presence of God and you can know Him as your heavenly Father. It's because He has washed you and cleansed your soul from your contaminating effects of sin and He's given you a new hope that you can hold on to in this harsh and difficult world. And then He says not because of all the encouragement that God is to us and having given us the Holy Spirit in our lives, our own parakaleo, He says, now I want you to be the same kind of encouragement to others. Because you have so much encouragement in Christ, do this for one another. That's why the therefore in verse 19 is so important. Therefore, because of these realities, O oh, people of God, do this. Because these are realities in your life. If they are not yet realities in your life, I encourage you to consider what God has done for you in Jesus. To come before him in repentance and faith and ask him to make you his, his child to become his heavenly father, to save you from your sins. And if you are a child of God and you really have not been serving others in this way, then to take the same posture of repentance and humility before him and then to rise up as the people of God and say, we're going to find way. I don't know right now what this means for me as an individual as a church, but we're going to be thinking about it. We're going to pray about it and we're going to become proactive about being this kind of, of a body. So I close with these words from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more 
as you see that day, the day of Christ's return, coming. Let's pray. Father, we asked a few minutes ago that you would speak to us from your word. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would give us, not just as individuals, but as a collective body, ears to hear, eyes to see. That these truths will not just roll off of us like water off a duck's back, but they will sink down deep and change the way we live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.